Michael Anderson is the CEO and Chief Investment Officer at Maranatha Financial. Due to industry regulations, he will not discuss any of Maranatha's investments on this program. All opinions expressed by participants on this program are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Maranatha Financial or its affiliates. The information should not be relied upon for purposes of transacting securities or other investments. Please consult with a financial advisor. For more information, visit Maranatha.com. Big Money in the 805 with your host, Michael Anderson. Michael always works in his client's best interest when it comes to their financial life and future. To reach Michael, go to Maranatha.com. And now, here's your host for Big Money, Michael Anderson. Big Money in the 805 with Michael Anderson. Brought to you by AllocationLink.com. Investment management that is low cost, smart, and accessible by all. AllocationLink.com. Welcome to Big Money in the 805. Last week, we talked about a key principle, progress, not perfection. I asked you to take action, even if it's small. Make a positive move to support your financial future. Most people overestimate what they can do in one year, but they underestimate what they can do in five years. We got a lot of great positive response about the idea of progress, not perfection. Today, we're going to be talking about having a disciplined approach with money. Spending, saving, spontaneous purchases, and the like. Many listeners have family, children, or grandchildren that have issues with spending, debt, and this approach to personal finance becomes an issue. It's also an issue with our country and with our culture. Today's young generations have this sense you only live once, and they live in fear. It's the fear of missing out. They see all the fun stuff their friends are doing. They see the pictures and the videos on social media, and they get messages from friends saying, hey, join us on the trip this weekend. You only live once. Maybe they can't afford it, so they put it on their credit card, and if this happens too much, then credit card debt builds up, and we all know how that story goes. You couple this idea of you only live once and the fear of missing out mentality with the rising home and living costs and the rising medical costs in today's society. And this is what really makes the credit card debt phenomenon so big in the U.S. It's the rise of the costs of these things that are going up faster than the income people are earning. So we're going to talk about this in today's two-minute drill. We have a few helpful perspectives to share on this topic. And always remember, if you need help, you can find a fee-only advisor in your area on napfa.org. That's N-A-P-F-A dot O-R-G. Or if you want to contact me directly, you can go to my website. That's marinantha.com. M-A-R-A-N-A-N-T-H-A dot com. I want to take a moment to say thank you to the Pierpont Racquet Club in Ventura. They have been very supportive of this show. If you're looking for a great health club in West Ventura County, this is the one to be in. Since 1977, they've been keeping people fit and supporting the community. You can get a 30-day pass online. Go to PierpontRC.com. It does cost $100 for the 30-day pass, but they credit that back to you if you end up joining. Again, go to PierpontRC.com. 
to check it out. Thank you for tuning in to Big Money in the 805. We have a big lineup for you over the next month. To list a few of the guests we have, we have Stan Mantooth of the Ventura County Office of Education. He's the superintendent. He'll be in. Mike Panasis of the CLU, California Lutheran University Center for Entrepreneurship. He'll be in. John Greathouse from UCSB's Technology Management Program. He'll be here as well. We're going to do a water in the 805 program. This is a focus show. We'll have leaders in the water industry come onto the show and talk. In addition to that, we have the Nonprofit Spotlight. Last week, we had the Cal Lutheran University Center for Nonprofit Leadership. This week, we'll highlight the Surfrider Foundation. If you have a worthy nonprofit you want us to spotlight or an interview guest or a question for the mailbag, you can let us know. Go to marinantha.com, M-A-R-A-N-A-N-T-H-A.com, or email me, michael, at allocationlink.com. Thank you. Today's interview is sponsored by Pierpont Racquet Club, serving Ventura since 1977. Visit pierpontrc.com. Today we have a guest, Chris Figueroa. He's an adventurer, a true globetrotter, an endurance athlete. He's made his way to over 30 countries across the world to cycle, climb, backpack, and explore. And he's here with us today. So Chris inspires those that he meets along his journey. He speaks to the Rotary Clubs and the schools that he meets along the way. And he helps to inspire them to lead a healthy life. You can follow Chris online. Visit his website at cycleforheart.org. Cycleforheart.org. Chris, thank you for joining us. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. Now, Chris and I go way back. Actually, I'm real happy that he's on the show. We went to middle school together and high school. And and uh, so uh, first question I want to ask you, Chris, is kind of a reflective question. As you think about everything that you've done and, and all of the expeditions you've been on and, and your life up to this point, a reflective question, getting personal. What are the moments that have brought you the most joy in your life? The most joy? Gosh, I think... I think as a as an athlete and as an adventurer, I can look back on, in 2010, I summited Mount Aconcagua in Argentina. And that was a trip that I had trained for, planned for, for years. And I soloed, bicycled from Buenos Aires all the way across Argentina to Mount Aconcagua. I carried a 92-pack by myself all the way up to around 19,000 feet. And then I, I solo summited that nearly 23,000-foot-tall peak. Um, after so much hard work and preparation, I, I finally came to the realization in my life that I was the person I had always tried to be. I would finally had made it. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. I like that. That's a beautiful story. So is that, you know, when you think of the expeditions, too, and I know you have one coming up I want to ask you about, yeah. but what w- would you say that it was one of the hardest or what was the hardest expedition, the hardest moment you can recall being on with, with these various travels? Uh, the hardest by, by far was I w- in 2014, I was in the very small country of Djibouti, and that's just north of Somalia and Ethiopia. And I was in the lowest point in Africa, a place called Lakasal, about 500 feet below sea level. The temperature outside was 131 degrees. Uh, you know, the world record's 134 in Death Valley. So I'm trying to bicycle out of this place at around 10 o'clock at night, and within probably 15 minutes, I get uh, heat exhaustion, heat stroke. Uh, I'm on the ground, rolling in pain, in my, you know, holding my stomach, and I- I'm terrified, right? Because a few days earlier, the U.S. ambassador sent me an email saying, you know, once you go out there beyond this point of, of safety, you're no longer rescuable. 
We can't get you. Wow. And so I was completely on my own to survive. Uh, I remember, you know, calling a doctor for my satellite phone, trying to get help in the middle of the darkness. I'm rolling on the ground. It takes me two hours uh, after and multiple attempts of trying to just stand back up. I finally was able to pour water on my neck and, and cool myself down, lean on my bike as a crutch. And it was about a 4,000 foot climb to get out of that hole in the ground over various mountain ranges. And I pushed my bike 20 miles over the next 10 hours to get back to a highway uh, by about you know, 10 o'clock in the morning, found somebody. They went and got a giant block of ice, laid me on the ground, and just put a block of ice on my chest to try to cool my, my core temperature down. That was probably the closest I ever came to not ever coming home. Wow. Wow. That gives me goosebumps just hearing about that. I mean, that's that's insane. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, you know, I want to ask you, and I, I asked you that question that's remarkable, um, but a couple questions come to mind with your response. And and the one I want to ask first is, what's the self-talk that's going on in your head? Maybe not when you're in that moment, but maybe shortly after that moment. Like, do you ever, I imagine you have moments where you're like, why am I doing this? What's going on? And, and you know, do you ever think like this was a bad idea? Or, or what do you tell yourself when you're in those moments or coming out of those hard, hard moments? You know, you know there's, there's two types of risks. You have calculated and uncalculated risk. And everything I do, I try to my utmost ability to make it all calculated risk. Sometimes the calculations don't work out. And that's a learning moment. Uh, I try to see everything as a learning tool to allow me to then improve. And then for the next expedition, um, almost to the point where every trip I do, I see it as preparation for the next one. And I'm always trying to improve my game. you know, I, I don't want to do anything that's I would consider risky without taking as, all the precautions that I can, looking through all the different variables, seeing what can go wrong, and trying to plan for those contingencies. Mm. Um, that's that's what it takes to be uh, an ex- successful adventure um, and come home alive. That's a good point. That's yeah. a very good point. So, well, you know, in, in a moment like that you just described, you're almost kind of at the will of the culture that was there to support you and help you get through that. Yeah. And, and I guess, to what extent would you say you've noticed um, differences in cultures across the globe and even inside the United States sure. relative to the one we know here in the 805? Yeah, that, that's actually, I, th- I think, really fascinating. Uh, Jabushan people are extremely friendly. Um, they, they were probably laughing at me a little bit, a little curious about what is this guy doing on a bicycle in the desert, but they were nonetheless very supportive. The Ethiopians, on the other hand, at the time and the place I was going through, they were going through a famine, uh, a drought. They were not very happy. (laughs) Um, They were consistently throwing stuff at me, beating me with rocks and sticks. And actually, out of all my travels around the world, that's the only place that I have been uh, abused, beat up, has been in uh, eastern Ethiopia. Mm. Uh, I, I did not expect that at all. Um, more locally in the United States, my favorite times to bicycle across the, the country are during the election years. Mm. And you never get more exposed to the country's fabric than when you were bicycling across it, meeting people at every country cafe and truck stop, hearing their opinions about who they like, don't like, and who they're going to vote for. It, it's absolutely fascinating. Uh, I get the sense that most people in the United States all want the same things. We obviously have different ways of getting to them. Um, 
and I just reflecting on the last uh, election, I was going through the Midwest and you could see how the a lot of the media and a lot of the polling was actually getting it wrong. Everyone I spoke to was going to vote for Trump. Interesting. Even though a lot of the polling, you know, uh, Nate Silver had had all everything calling for Hillary, but and everywhere I was going, it was these these people didn't see that at all. Yeah. Um, it, yeah it's that, that, that was that, a fascinating. <clears throat> so you're on the ground, seeing the, yeah. it, kind of really in there with the people and kind of understanding firsthand. Uh, yeah. yeah, and it was contradicting what I was seeing in the news at the time, and that that was fascinating. Very interesting. Um, yeah. People as you go across the United States, and, and this is where I like to always reflect back on, and you know, we, we sometimes don't get to see how great this country is and how good of the, the people really are. We always tend to focus somewhat on the negative. Um, but I, I've met enough people in this, night, United, in, the, in this whole country that if, for whatever reason, the government implodes tomorrow, there are enough amazing people to keep things going. There are enough good people out there with the right morals, the right values, to make sure that we as a society don't collapse. Things are going to keep moving along. Uh, and that has been really touching to see as I go across the U.S. Yeah, neat. Well, I like that. Yeah. That's a that's a very good perspective. I think that's a perspective we don't all get to travel the United States on bicycle and <laughs> right. see and meet these different people and cultures. And and um, um, that's I like that. So yeah. tell us about the trip coming up. You have one coming up next month, and and kind of what's what are the plans for that trip? Where are you going? How long is it going to be? It's uh, I fly to Dead Horse, Alaska. So that's the very, very top of the of Dalton Highway, right where it ends at the Prudhoe Bay oil refinery area. Um, I'm going to bicycle from there down all the way to Homer, Alaska. That's that's kind of the equivalent of going from northern Minnesota to Dallas. Right. Alaska is a big state. The first 400 miles of that are on the Dalton Highway. It's the longest unsupported road in the country, all dirt. It's the haul road that follows the Alaskan pipeline. It'll be myself, haul trucks, and grizzly bears. Uh, I'm, I'm actually really excited to be that far out in the wilderness uh, and to try to uh, navigate that, you know, a land that I, I've never really got to experience, that, that far north tundra. Um, after that, I'm going to take the ferry around Canada. I've already bicycled through Canada twice, so I thought I'd skip it this time. Go to Washington State, and then I'm going to come down, and I'll finish in San Diego on November 2nd. So about 3,000 miles, 80 days total. Wow. And how many times, what number is this for traveling the state? This will be the 11th time for me crossing the United States in one direction or the other. Mm. You've pretty much made an asterisk of the United States on the map. Is <laughs> yeah. That kind of... <laughs> uh, I've crossed it, X'd it, teed it out. I've done the both coastlines, the top, the bottom, you name it. Wonderful. Wonderful. Now, when you're on this trip, and I know you normally talk to rotary clubs and mm -hmm. schools, are you going to be meeting people along the way in that regard? Are you setting that up for this trip, or is it more of just a ride on this one? Yeah, no, the American Heart Association takes care of a lot of my media advocacy work. They'll make calls to local politicians, get me in the front of them to talk about whatever legislative issues they have coming up. Uh, they also set me up with elementary schools, middle schools to go and talk to those kids about being healthy and active, high school kids to kind of share with them my story, rotary clubs along the way, again, to talk about the Rotary's big mission with the you know, polio eradication efforts. So, and also Rotary uh, sponsors me by hosting me all across the country. So I get to stay with Rotary families, uh, which is, a, I mean, going back to earlier, a, another amazing experience to stay with hundreds of families across the United States and like eating with them at their dinner table. So. Uh, but yeah, this trip is, will be the same as the others. When you're doing that, when you're on these trips and, and speaking to s schools and kids, what, what's the message that you share? What are some of the kind of talking points on that? 
Well, the, the big issue behind me is obviously, you know, the heart association. So trying to be healthy, active and, you know, fitness, proper nutrition. And that really focuses on the elementary school kids. I'm trying to target those third, fourth graders, inspire them to be healthy and active, trying to fight childhood obesity, um, you know, make a dent in, di in childhood diabetes, things like that. As I move up in the age levels, the middle school kids, you start talking to them more about character traits. Uh, what does it mean to be a proactive citizen? As I get to the high school kids, I'm then telling them how I actually started my own nonprofit. How do you how do you become an adventurer? What does it mean to be a professional athlete? Uh, you know how how do you have to set yourself up to be able to do these things? Uh, you know both personally, financially. You know what's that structure be so that these kids can then follow in my footsteps and go accomplish whatever they want. That's great. That is fantastic. So this show, we it's a personal finance tilt on this show, and so yeah. I want to talk personal finance for a minute. I, mean, I imagine these expeditions are not you know cheap. You've got some sponsorships, and that's great. But maybe you can talk to me about your approach to personal finance and how you view that and kind of some of the messages you share along with what you do personally. Yeah, so these the trips can range anywhere from $2,000 to over $25,000. Uh, and I, I know that's not within the realm for most people on, for any vacation, really. Um, the, the key to, to getting those costs down is obviously sponsorship. And you, you get a lot of people who want to be sponsored. And what they don't realize is that being sponsored means that you become the product. It uh, doesn't matter how good or bad the thing that the company makes is. It's now my responsibility to perform no matter what. And you, it's a business decision, and they're looking for a return on their investment, you know, what, whatever compensation they're giving to me. And so you got to take that very, very seriously to be able to get their support, and then that helps bring those costs down to make this financially feasible for me to do these rides. Uh, personally, I understand that my line of occupation is very unorthodox, and so it takes an unorthodox approach to f setting up my finances, right? Uh, and I do kind of... Uh, joke around with the kids in the high school level saying that, you know, the, the best thing you can do is invest. If you want to be someone like me and not have like a cons consistent source of income or a, an, uh, a, a normal career path, the only other option really is to invest. And I, I joke that the guy sitting next to you might become a doctor, but if you can start investing right now, you'll probably be wealthier than that than your buddy who will be a doctor will ever be. And really encourage them. And just even something simple, if it's going to be Starting with like a Vanguard account, I can right. trying to, you know, at, at 18 years old, try to just put something together in a mutual fund or going to their local bank for with $100 and buying a, a, you know, a bond of some kind. Yeah. Whatever it is, get their foot in the door that will break them into uh, some financial stability. And then later on in life, when they become, you know, if they're still trying to follow a path like mine, they can rely upon that and take two to three months at a time and go do these big expeditions and not have it be such a financial drain. Yeah, that's a good point. And starting early really is a key. It's kind of habit forming. It's not always about how much you have, but, right. but the habit of even having a little, but saving at that time is still an important habit uh, to develop certainly. and learn. And Well, Chris, thank you so much for being on the program today. You can follow Chris at Cycle for Heart cycleforheart.org and we wish you the best of luck on your next expedition i hope you'll come share it with us uh, once you finish i appreciate it mike thanks so much for having me thank you get ready to take some notes it's time for the two minute drill with michael anderson on big money in the 805 two minute drill grab a piece of paper and a pencil it's time for today's two minute drill brought to you by geico local office 
car and homeowner's insurance for the 805. You could save up to 15%. Call 805-487-7847. GEICO Local Office. At what point did you learn about making good financial decisions? Was there someone that taught you about cash flow, the credit score, income and expenses? When you enter adulthood, were you ready or did you make some mistakes? Education can be very costly and stressful when you learn by making mistakes. I know firsthand. Last week's principle was progress, not perfection. This week's principle is discipline backslash income must exceed expenses. It sounds basic and simple, but it's not. So we're going to discuss it a little bit more. The idea of spending, cash flow, and discipline. I know a few doctors, they make over $400,000 a year, but they have this problem spending $450,000 a year. It's just not sustainable to live that way. The other side of that is I know families that make $34,000 a year, but they live on $32,000 a year. That takes discipline. Talking about this, the first issue that I want to bring to light is the idea of spontaneous purchases, impulse buys. What is the last impulse buy that you made? I bet you can think of something pretty quickly. The perspective I want to give you on this is when did you save money to buy something? When's the last time that you did that? Another perspective that I want to share is when did you want something, but you had to say no to it? You said no to buying it because you didn't have the money. You decided to deal with the fear of missing out instead of just buying it impulsively. Those are the perspectives I want to share with the first issue. The second issue I want to get into that I see a lot is this lifestyle pressure. Now, it used to be, I think, therefore I am. And nowadays it's, I share, therefore I am on social media. So we see what everyone else is doing and we have a subconscious need to keep up with the Joneses on Facebook. I mean, this is an issue. We all have to deal with this now. But the perspective I want to share is this disciplined approach to income must exceed the expenses. You can resist the urge to give the you only live once mentality and give in, and you can rather go to the income must exceed expenses mentality. Saving for something is often providing more joy than actually buying it impulsively. My mentor used to tell me the idea of something is often more exciting than the thing itself. Younger generations will teach the older generations about the acronyms they use when they send messages and texts. The acronym they use for you only live once is YOLO, Y-O-L-O. The acronym they use for fear of missing out is FOMO, F-O-M-O. Ask a younger generation person about those two acronyms. I'm sure they can describe them well. The acronym that I want to coin today and I want the older generations to help with the younger generation is IME, I-M-E-E, income must exceed expenses. Today's principle is to have a disciplined approach. Income must exceed expenses. If you want additional help or to talk about this with me personally, check us out online. The first meeting is always free. My website is marinantha.com. M-A-R-A-N-A-N-T-H-A.com. Now it's time for the Nonprofit Spotlight with your host, Michael Anderson, on Big Money in the 805. Nonprofit Spotlight. Here is a local group we want you to know about. It's the Nonprofit Spotlight, brought to you by Spanish Hills Country Club. Taste the elegance, golf, athletic, and social memberships. 
visit SpanishHillsCC.com or call Cindy, 805-388-5000. Today we have Andy Taylor, UCSB student. He's interning with us, and he's created a very nice nonprofit spotlight. So Andy, take it away, bud. This week's nonprofit spotlight is dedicated to the Surfrider Foundation. For over 30 years, the Surfrider Foundation has been working to preserve our oceans and beaches and raise awareness for the threats they face. Today, the foundation has over 50,000 members and 80 chapters worldwide, including one right here in Ventura County. Our local chapter plays a role in many active campaigns, including a beach cleanup on the fourth Saturday of each month. If you'd like to get involved or learn more about the Surfrider Foundation, you can visit their website at surfrider.org or attend a monthly meeting at a chapter near you. You're tuned in to Big Money in the 805 with Michael Anderson. Now it's time for Michael to go to the mailbag and answer some questions from listeners. Mailbag, we answer your questions about money, Wall Street, and local issues. Our first question comes from Deborah from Thousand Oaks. She says, I want to buy a second home to rent. What do I need to do? Well, Deborah, second home. So assuming you already have a first home and you want to buy a second home as a rental to rent out, maybe provide income, hopefully get some appreciation on the home, could be a good strategy. Well, what you need to do if you're wanting to buy a second home or a first home or any real estate for that matter is the first three things you're going to look at is your credit, your credit score, your income level as far as the debt that you have and the income that you have to go against that debt. So credit, income, and then also the amount that you're going to put down as a down payment to buy that second home. Oftentimes, you'll need a little bit more down to buy that second home than the first. So those are the three places that you're going to start. And I'd recommend finding a local loan officer that you can kind of go into more detail with it. But it's always a question in real estate. You're dealing with credit score. You're dealing with your income that you have. And then the amount of money you have as a down payment. I'll leave it that generic for that question for Deborah. Sam from Ventura writes to us, I'm nearing retirement and I keep seeing offers for free lunches or seminars on retirement income. What's your opinion on going to events like these? Well, Sam, typically sometimes these things sound really good and sometimes they're just sound too good to be true as far as the guarantees that you're getting and this great product does such wonderful things. The reality is every product has good stuff and potentially not good stuff to them. And sometimes at these free lunch events, they leave out what the not so good stuff is. Every product has issues. And what I've seen in the past, I don't want to talk bad about anyone offering financial help, but what I've seen in the past is sometimes at those instances, they're only pushing one particular product that pays a high commission, which affords them the ability to be able to offer those free lunches. So it's not always the case, but I'm skeptical of that. Any investment that you're going into, you want to know how long is the money going to be locked up and what is the person positioning you with that product? I think that's important. I think that's helpful. So they're not always bad, but sometimes you got to go to them kind of with your guard up just a little bit to understand what's going on. Our last question in the mailbag comes from Betsy, also in Ventura. How can I be sure how much I'm paying my financial advisor? I think I'm currently paying 1.25%. Is that too much? 1.25%. I think the national average is right at 1.26%. So you're right on the national average, but I'll tell you, I don't think that's good. I think that is a little high. What's happening in the industry nowadays is technology is making the job easier. So prices are coming down. They're passing that savings on to you as the client. I'd get a second opinion on that. I, my fee for advisory is, is lower than that. I think a lot of people locally have a lower fee than that. I'd kind of get with someone, run a second opinion on what your management fee is if you're paying 1.25. The other thing, people are uncomfortable asking. They don't know and they're uncomfortable asking their advisor what they're being paid. I think it's just common business practice to know what someone is being paid. So shouldn't feel uncomfortable asking to try and find out. 
Well, that does it for today's show. Thanks for tuning in. Check us out on iTunes, Big Money in the 805. Share us with your friends and family. Special thanks to many of Camarillo, American Pacific Mortgage, and Marcus and Milchap. You can contact me at marinantha.com, M-A-R-A-N-A-N-T-H-A.com, or michael at allocationlink.com. We'll see you next week. Bye for now.